But I do think this is important. We have spent an enormous amount of time and money on the email issues. And I don't believe we have spent enough on other business comms. And I, I can tell you personally, uh, most of my communications do not come through email. I'm George Comedy, and you're listening to First Watch. Deep fakes, synthetic humans, manipulating people beyond email and into trusted cloud communication channels. These are just some of the trends highlighted in VMware's Global Threat Incident Response Report, which was released last week just before Black Hat 2022. Today, my guest is Rick McElroy, Principal Cybersecurity Strategist at VMware. I had the chance to sit down with Rick during Black Hat last week to record this conversation live. This episode is the first of three interviews from Black Hat, so stay tuned for more. But for now, let's get into it with Rick McElroy. Rick McElroy, welcome to First Watch. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so we are live at Black Hat. This is the ninth, and uh, yesterday you and VMware dropped the Global Incident Response Threat Report. We did. Yeah, yeah. it's our uh, fifth annual. Yeah. Yeah, and there was a, a lot in there. Um, certainly not enough time to go over it all, but there were some juicy bits, and want to sort of dig into that those right away. So I'm going to start this with deep fakes um, because I think in the common imagination deep fakes is more of a political disinformation ploy and as of two years ago you know it, it felt like it was the much ballyhooed boogeyman to come and then not a lot came out of it but the data uh, in your report would suggest otherwise so let's start there yeah I, th I think that's an accurate take right so um, I would say again based on our threat research um, up until probably two and a half three years ago we predominantly saw it uh, manifested in that external influence campaigns mm -hmm. um, so we're all familiar with those I won't um, belabor all of those on on this um, but what we started to see especially if you started monitoring um, the activity on the dark web is like they started moving away from faking, um, you know, politicians and famous people mm -hmm. for other purposes, whether it was to influence or create like fake porn and stuff um, towards, hey, let's start to impersonate officers and companies. Let's start to impersonate IT staff mm -hmm. um, and other individuals. And I think there's a couple reasons behind that. So one, I think we are getting better on defense. We've been, you know, it's been 25 plus years of security awareness and training. So while users do click, I think um, some of the cyber criminals are seeing less of an ROI from that. And so they're really looking for other me methodologies to manipulate the human. Mm -hmm. And so last year, our report um, highlighted how they were inside um, organizations manipulating the digital reality. Now we really see them leaning into di dig uh, manipulating the humans and the reality around that. So it becomes hard to distinguish whether or not it was your CEO that called you on the phone. Yeah, and I, th I think, let me draw that distinction for a bit. So in the Verizon uh, DBIR, you know, the last two years, um, the top cause of breaches, according to their attribution, is exploitation of a human vulnerability. Obviously an extremely broad category, but I think you bring up a good point here. It's like exploiting that trust and exp I think this is a good way of putting it is exploiting the reality. Like this is a person in my workplace contacting me. But then I want to draw further because the report is breaks it down into video versus uh, phone. 
So could you talk a little bit about that distinction there? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, pr- predominantly you'll see deep fakes used, um, and we're all familiar with uh, the Tom Cruise or yes. the Nancy Pelosi, or so, so the video-based ones I think mm-hmm. um, we're all fair, fil- fairly familiar with. Um, you know, Adobe, along with a bunch of other companies, uh, started publishing platforms to do this, um, to create voices mm-hmm. um, just by having uh, data on the human, right? So um, in my particular case, I have hundreds of hours um, online that are recorded, whether it's a webinar, right? Um, so it's very easy to seed those machine learning mm-hmm. systems that then create something like a deep fake. Um, and especially when you think about those being delivered to a voicemail system or, you know, over Slack as a recording, you click on the recording, it sounds just like my CEO. There's a sense of urgency. I'm the CFO. And now I'm hitting that button to wire transfer outside the organization. And so I do think there's some rudimentary things we can think about as humans. Mm-hmm. Um, one, identify the people who can transfer money outside your organizations Two, come up with two factors over that. Right? Yep. So it's not enough to receive an email or some sort of business communications that tells you to do something. It shouldn't be enough to receive a phone call from someone in your organization that says, we have to pay the NFL and we have to pay them yeah. now. Um, no. Uh, it, and maybe we uh, rudimentary as an organization because we don't have a lot of funds around this. We mm-hmm. look at something like a, a challenge passphrase like we used to do for soldiers running yep. in you know, during World War II, right? It's very rudimentary, but I think would work, um, especially in the cases where very limited individuals have access to do that. Yeah, I, I think you bring up a good point. It's rudimentary, but the name of the game is if you can just slow it down, right? Because false urgency and coercion and whatever, if you, if you give the human mind that beat, then you're going to have more luck. I think it's trickier when, um, I, you know, I think we've batted a few posts on LinkedIn back and forth. The human mind is evolved over many millions of years to trust, to yeah. be collaborative. It's not to be suspicious and paranoid. And, you know, if, if you're being, uh, if, if you can interpret very quickly in a 30-second snippet, well, hell, 10-second snippet, social hierarchy, urgency, is my job at stake, stuff like that, like, Right now, there aren't a lot of machine systems, and it takes a lot of cloud computing just to get to what we can recognize. But I think if we can just slow the transaction down. I, I think that's a huge part of it. It's just enough time to think about it. And, and usually people will go, that seems inky. If they had enough time and, and paused, I guarantee um, five minutes later, they probably wouldn't have fell for the scam or, or whatever the attack mm-hmm. was. I think um, you brought up some interesting points about technology and, and the role you know, that, that vendors and I think technology can play in detecting deepfakes. Now, audio is going to be tough. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of that will be based on the nuance of the person, how they speak. That's going to be tough. Um, from a video perspective, it's pretty rudimentary today. Yeah. So, in fact, most of the times the humans are catching something like a, a deepfake video. Um, but it's really based around detecting um, flaws in um, the amount of compute you can actually throw a deepfake. So what do we know about the large uh, cyber criminal cartels? They've obviously are now looking at this mm-hmm. as another way to gain initial access and or you know, some sort of data exfil for a human to do something. Um, so we know we're ma- they're making an investment in it. Um, we know a bunch of gear is getting freed up because the crypto market has kind of crashed. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would expect more GPUs to be thrown at it, which will break the current detection models that do exist for um, technology and, and some of the larger vendors like Facebook and Google. Yeah. So I'm gonna I'm gonna piggyback off of something there. You said initial access, which brings me to my next point in the report. You highlight the um, increase 
in the incidence of lateral movement. I think that stood out to me in this report for two reasons. One, I guess I didn't expect it to be as big a a thing because I expected lateral movement to be more commonplace. Mm. But the second surprise is the way that your survey data looks at lateral movement and hope you could uh, elaborate on that. Yeah, definitely. Um, Yeah. So I would say like percentage wise, we were slightly surprised as well. I mean, you know, I don't think anybody has a hundred percent view into how much lateral movement actually occurs. That being said, we know that in most cases, lateral movement is going to occur. Um, it, it occurs for uh, from the attackers for a number of different reasons. Hey, I want to gain persistence. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to evade some security control. I want to I want to move around the environment, therefore making my extortion methodology more painful to do it. So instead of ransoming one thing, I want a thousand things because it's way more painful, right? Um, so, it, but, but if you look at the manifestation of lateral movement and how it is changing, what we're clearly starting to see, um, island hopping. So um, what I refer to mm-hmm. as external lateral movement, you're connected to some other business. Maybe you've got a VPN. Maybe it's an RDP connection that you've got wide open. Boom, the attackers are going through that. And then secondarily, they're now using all kinds of cloud things. Yes. Um, so, so you know, if you look at uh, Google file storage, Office 365 file storage, OneDrive, and I'm not picking on any particular, um, you know, manufacturer or software company in this case. I'm just saying that the adversaries are really smart. They see what we're doing from a cloud storage perspective, and they're taking advantage of that to then start to pivot throughout environments, right? So it used to be, you know, as an attacker in 1998, when I landed on an endpoint and wanted to pivot, I'd make some sort of network connection to that Mm. other box, right? I'd start to exploit that other system and move along. Now I can start to facilitate it through the cloud where visibility is limited, detections are limited, uh, and that becomes pervasive in an environment. Yeah, and it's also taking advantage of um, the trusted infrastructure. Like if it comes to you and it's, you know, this weird sketchy URL, whatever, but your, your family sends you Google drive links, you know, you're like used to seeing that URL, the rest of it is, you know, incomprehensible, whatever. And you're not going to like sandbox that link. I mean, I think colonial pipeline was a Google drive link. Yeah. And, and it, it, I think you highlighted this earlier, um, the human capacity to filter uh, BS in this case, right? Because <laughs> yeah. it's what it is. People are trying to scam you. They're trying to get you to do something. Um, it's a volume problem, right? So I know at work, like between myself yeah. and a few people, there's constant OneDrive links. Mm-hmm. Hey, can you throw comments? Can you throw? And you, you just get in the, in, in the rhythm of opening those links because you know that it comes from someone in the organization. And so I think even for us, um, we clearly see the attackers targeting IT specifically, mm-hmm. right, around password resets, credentials, credential harvesting, those types. Um, so I do think it's something we got to be mindful of, aware. And then, of course, I think there is um, some good movement out of all of the manufacturers, mm-hmm. like detections are, are continuing to increase. You know, the amount of um, security controls that exist in the cloud are starting to increase. So we're getting there. But in the meantime, it's still going to be bumpy. And um, I think we've got some work specific to do as humans um, until the technology catches up. Yeah. And to be fair, we're probably still in catch up mode from this massive, quiet cloud revolution that is the pandemic, right? Like this incredible lift into the cloud just to make sure people could still work no matter what. And then you've got application sprawl in the cloud. Um, You could have one sanctioned instance of Slack and some other department spins up their own version of Slack that's connected to outside vendor. I don't know. There's like, there's so much, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think everybody's going through it. 
Um, so for most people, and what I spend most of my time talking about now is how do you achieve consistent set of controls mm -hmm. in a multi-cloud world? And then how do you consistently provide the visibility and context when an attacker's in your environment? So it's actually actionable in minutes. And so um, it's something uh, my, my, myself and a bunch of peers are referring to as like mean time to matter, mm -hmm. right? It's no, not enough man. to detect anymore. It's not enough to actually respond. But is it, what's your mean time to actually matter and interrupt that attacker and prevent whatever the issue is? Yeah. And um, we are getting better in some instances. I do think, again, why are the attackers starting to pivot towards deep fakes and, and new methodologies? Well, clearly some organizations are doing a bit better around, um, you, you know, that social engineering training and, uh, and their employees being up to date on it. And, and so they'll continue to do what we do. But, you know, I think on our side, we really have to think about that in a cloud world. Like, I need the right context at the right time to make a decision that matters. And I want it consistent regardless of where my data is. Yeah, that's good uh, classification. Also, like, what are those apps connected to? The same uh, utility that Slack can connect into everything is also... I could move straight into GitHub. I could move into Jira. I could move into all of your connected data systems quite quickly. Which you, I think you highlighted another area that um, I'm very uh, interested in. And I think we're truly watching what the attackers are doing. And it's really around, you know, taking advantage of all that interconnectedness mm -hmm. and APIs. So how, do, how are we going to do this at scale in the cloud? We got to do it with APIs. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's just... Unless somebody brilliant out there is writing uh, a new model. Um, but today, we've got to be able to do that, right? And so we're all doing orchestration. We're all automating. We're starting to pull our context together. We're starting to take automated um, isolation activities or response activities. And the attackers know this. And they know that a lot of this stuff is glued together with bubble gum. Um, so, <laughs> so we've got to get better about making sure our credentials are tight. We're doing good credential rotation amongst our APIs. And, uh, and at minimum bring someone in to do an assessment over your APIs like as soon as possible. A lot of the vendors that are out there will deploy in for free for 30 days. They'll take a look. But like that's a big recommendation I have is if, if you don't even know what your API problem is, go look at it. And, or even being able to inspect that traffic because they can hijack that infrastructure for command and control. So it could just be inside your the same data flow inside your Slack instance because you can't see inside that, inside that API. Yeah, and um, I'm glad you brought up Slack. Uh, and not to pick on Slack, uh, but I'll pick on Teams and a whole bunch of other <laughs> stuff that's out there, too. So I know we were talking about this on LinkedIn. Um, I think three years ago, uh, I think your organization, our organization, kind of at the same time, we're looking at the multiple modalities that attackers were going through communication systems yep. and doing all kinds of stuff. Right. So we looked at the phenomenon and said, well, it's not just about email. It's about communication systems, so let's call it business communications compromise. Um, but I do think this is important. We have spent an enormous amount of time and money on the email issues, and I don't believe we have spent enough on other business comms. And I, I can tell you personally, um, most of my communications do not come through email. Right, corporate-wide stuff comes through email. Um, you know, but uh, uh, I mean, link, LinkedIn, yeah. Slack, yeah, that that's the majority of how people, you know, teams, also, sure also the speed with which, right? Because yeah. if if you're collaborating, no one is sending attachments anymore. That's not true. But like, right. I need this done. Can you comment on this OneDrive? Chat you in Here's Teams. You know, it's like, it's this. I mean, it's the utility of the platform is it's speed to collaboration, but it's also like the attackers will go where the people communicate. That's exactly right. And then again, um, if I can get into impersonation, if I can credential harvest because I've been inside your environment mm -hmm. and you haven't found me. 
I can send comms from anybody in your org. Yeah. And the chances that that's going to work are fairly high. And I would make the argument we've had 20 years to learn and train and teach people on email. Team Slack, Zoom chat, like it, there's already kind of a faster, more natural predilection to trust and collaborate. Yeah. And we don't have that same reflex. So, yeah, credential harvesting, credential theft. I mean, that's like so easy to insider. Like, how do I not know Rick needs this right now? Because it's in teams, which feels like it's totally anecdotal, but it feels more trusted, quote unquote, than than yeah. email. Well, and I think uh, here's how you know people are bad at it. Um, the <laughs> FBI, I think about two and a half months ago, maybe two months ago, issued um, yet another alert around um, synthetic humans. Um, these synthetic humans were applying for jobs and actually mm -hmm. getting paychecks out of organizations. <laughs> so I made a post about this on LinkedIn. Someone happened to chime in. That actually happened to us. And, and we felt weird. We didn't move forward, mm -hmm. but like we're pretty sure that a deep fake had applied for a, a role at our organization, right? And so I go, well, if it's bubbled up to be a large enough problem that the FBI puts an alert about, you can be assured that millions of dollars have been flying out of uh, organizations because that's the area the FBI works on, mm -hmm. right? Um, and so, yeah, you can see other manifestations of how they're actually trying to impersonate the real humans. But I thought it was super interesting. Instead of stealing the money or extorting somebody for the money, let me just get a job and get a paycheck. Yeah. And some health benefits, and then, you know, my ROI's high, right? Let, let me get, like, quasi-legit money. <laughs> like, right. I applied for the job. I got the job. Yeah. But, it's, yeah, and then I was just like, okay, this is <laughs> this is all starting to get out of hand. Because, you know, uh, of course they're getting through recruiters. I can understand that with phone screenings. Um, but this is actual security teams that's seeing the manifestation mm -hmm. as well, which is, you know, we're fairly trained in identifying social engineering techniques. Or are we? No, right. I'm just, right. <laughs> um, so that brings me to my last point, which I want to bring up here. Um, in the report, your colleague, Karen Worstel, who we've also talked to, talks about how essentially there's no defensible perimeter, right? We're just, it's in the cloud, even in a hybrid environment, the actual work, and we've talked about the communications where the work is taking place is happening in the cloud. Um, so if we think about business communications compromise and we kind of internalize that, do you think that that changes the outlook for security teams? Like we're not going to take our eye off of endpoints and manage devices, but I, it feels like there's a shift to think about communications rather than like network systems and hard infrastructure in terms of protecting a business. Yeah. Well, look, I think that's fair. I mean, I don't think you can do true detection and response. Right. So so meaning the thing we all have in our heads um, with all the data sources and all the interactions from users and how they communicate with mm -hmm. you and all of those things. So uh, I think we're on that journey, like as a, a cybersecurity community. Um, the cloud has certainly, I think, um, helped us get there faster, or at least started to close these gaps. But when we talk about that full context. Mm -hmm. Right. So that's what I mean. I don't believe you can separate out the user activity and the context of what they're doing from the context on the network, from the context mm -hmm. of an endpoint, from a context from what the attackers are doing, right? Because it all relates to what's happening in that moment that either is approved, not approved, or worth of uh, investigation, right? And so I think big picture, what folks want are all the right data sources to start to put this picture together. 
The problem is it's really pricing and expensive to start to do it because we, mm -hmm. we bought Sims, we bought data yeah. lakes, right? And so we're stuffing them with data. A bunch of the data isn't really relevant to the actual context. Um, and so I think as an industry, we're all going through that. Mm -hmm. Like what is relevant, what's not relevant for me personally? I think looking at the communications and how people actually interact with people in your organization, you're gonna understand your document flows. You know, is somebody downloading something from OneDrive which is approved, taking a picture of it, and, and then slacking it out to a friend? Those are things you probably care about as a CISO or a security team. Definitely is gonna help you with those insider use cases, you know, those types of things. So, so I think, for me, it's a holistic approach to detection and response. So when I hear about XDR, um, I get it, it's, it's marketing, that's great. Um, but what it represents is this idea that we mm -hmm. can start to bring all of this stuff together in a way that makes it meaningful for the defenders. And, and I, I think we're well on that journey. We've got a ways to go, um, but I don't think we could do it without the cloud, right? Yeah. So cloud does have, you know, there's some dark clouds and, and uh, I think some hope, but no way we can analyze the, no, the petabytes of data the, yeah. that we're doing to do behavioral analysis. There's no way we can't yeah. do that without the cloud. Yeah. yeah, that's for sure. Um, so we're going to round to home here on a high note, um, and then I'm going to ask a, a different question towards the end. But in the report, the, the silver lining is that it's clear IR teams are getting better. They're faster. Um, you also note less burnout in the survey. So I just want to give you some space to talk about what you found there, which is heartening. Like it's easy to focus on the bad, but let's focus on what we've improved over time. Yeah, I, I truly appreciate that. Um, it's something we always try to do as an organization. I think we're very mindful about the state of defenders, um, our mind state, and are we effective? <laughs> yeah. um, we've seen over the last four years, um, visibility has increased. Detections have increased. One of the most promising things that I saw out of this year's survey, 75% of respondents said they have emergency patching and or some sort of virtual shimming that they can do mm -hmm. on systems in the event of a log4j or a solar winds. Um, that's huge. You also saw an inordinate percentage say that they have the ability to interrupt the attacker during their attacks, right? So maybe we haven't gotten to true prevention, but I can say with all of the visibility that's been deployed, mm -hmm. you've got some great companies um, that are managing a whole lot of these detections for organizations. Um, I credit, and I'm gonna continue to credit something like MITRE ATT&CK of bringing the yep. entire vendors together so that we could speak the same language, so we could start to, so we could actually do um, continual assessment against those TTPs to understand how, how our defensive um, uh, uh, solutions are actually built. Here's the other one. We had seen, um, and I'm sure everybody's aware, I mean, I did a talk at uh, RSA 2017, probably on, black, uh, on burnout, mm -hmm. right? And, and you saw a lot of this. So one of the encouraging things is organizations who have put in wellness plans, they're not throwing money at employees, mm -hmm. um, free counseling, you know, um, flexible time off. All of those things are things that will keep your security defenders in their spots and will give them a better sense of like worth-like balance and keep them around in this industry for a long time because there's a lot of people quitting due to that burnout. And so thank you for bringing that up. Um, I am encouraged by what we're seeing from the defensive side. I think we've got some swagger back. Mm -hmm. I definitely do. Um, if you look at what's happening inside of the Ukraine from a cyber perspective, it's not as bad as everybody thought, at least for the sure. results. For sure. There's been an enormous amount of zero days launched. However, impact, I think 
there, uh, we can all say that impact is a whole lot lower than we would have thought at the beginning of that conflict. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, and there's there's probably no greater risk to an organization than a bunch of open wrecks in the security team that need to be backfilled because it's it's an actual sieve. Like you don't have bodies and seats. There are no hands on keys. And your current staff's um, now working two or three jobs yes. to keep up, yeah. right? And then they're not going to stay very long in that world. That was... That was the one thing as a CISO that I always had an agreement with the employees. It's like, hey, we're going to hire hard. It may take us some time to find the employee. We're all going to have to pitch in. But if we hire right, then it's going to have a, a norm and an impact. And, and I think, you know, we held true to that. And um, But, yeah, now you've got organizations that, you know, two to five cyber people a week they want to onboard. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So we're going to end with uh, a different note that I've been asking people here. So we come to Black Hat to sort of mix with friends and colleagues to learn, uh, to understand, but it's also um, very easy to go full bore on cyber and become kind of a one-dimensional human being. So my question to you is, you know, what are some other sources of learning that you look to, history, philosophy? What is, like, how do you kind of get the juice to keep going with cyber? I love this question because uh, I was real ate up for a long time. And so a lot of my talks were don't be ate up and hang out. Hang out with people who don't do cyber. Um, as much like most of my friends are in cyber, but it's truly important to hang out with people who have no idea what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. And in fact, I think we'll give you a better view on what you're actually trying to achieve because you're hanging out with um, quote unquote normal humans <laughs> and not um, not us. Because, you know, we're, we, I, I love us. We're weirdos, right? Um, so for me, uh, I, I have learned and had to make a practice of, like, stop with the compute. Stop with the hands on the keyboard. Um, go learn something else. So for me, I'm, uh, uh, I'm, I'm on my, um, you know, amateur tour of playing poker and, and, and trying to be good at uh, big data analysis um, <laughs> nice. in that field, um, which does lend itself to cyber. But uh, what's nice about it, I don't actually think about cybersecurity while I'm doing it. Mm -hmm. uh, it occupies most of my brain power. So it's a it's a good way to just unplug and then go like, I'm going to go play poker for six hours. And uh, I don't even care about the results a lot of times. Um, so that and then uh, my wife is an avid reader. Mm -hmm. Like she reads anything and everything that I think is published. Um, so a lot of times she just recommends good books to read, right? And so um, my latest one that I do recommend for people is a cyber book, unfortunately. It's called, um, they tell me how, this is how the world yes. ends. Nicole's book, it's really good. You should just go read it. Um, I can't believe the access and the interviews that she got in there. Um, well, I think that's a good yeah. example because it was written for a general audience. That's what I loved about it. Like when I gave it to my wife, I said, hey, can you can you read this? And mm -hmm. and, under, and she was like, this is written like a reporter would do it, not like you would say it. <laughs> and then I was like, that's perfect. I appreciate that. Thanks, honey. Yeah. <laughs> and then if uh, anyone wants a book recommendation, that's um, not security, but it's my favorite book series. Uh, it's called Red Rising. They're about to publish a new one in a couple of months. Um, so there are five books in, and um, you can think of it as Game of Thrones in space, and it's pretty awesome. Oh, yeah. that, is a, that is a good that's a good tagline. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, Rick, thank you for taking the time out of your busy Black Hat schedule. Really appreciate you coming by. And uh, yeah, we'll hope to talk again soon. Definitely. Thanks for having me. That's it for First Watch today. A big thanks to my special guest, Rick McElroy. First Watch is a production of Safeguard Cyber with original music by Matthias Suffoletti. Subscribe to First Watch wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. And until next time, stay safe, stay strong.